Good morning, Foothills. It's great to see you all here with us, whether you're joining us in person or online. We're really glad you're here today. Uh, if you are new with us, we have a number, 72000, that you can text FH space new to, and we'll help you get plugged into our community, become part of our church, and answer any general questions you might have. We are in week four of our series, Jesus Loves You. We're talking about the classic children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we are breaking down each piece of it to see where does that come from? You know, why do these words matter? It comes from a, I don't know if it was a theologian or apologist, or it was a guy who has been speaking about Christ and Christianity, and someone came up to him and said, hey, what would you say the story of the Bible is in one sentence? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So we want to talk about each little breakdown of that and figure out what's going on with that. How do we know that and where does that come from? This uh, couple weeks ago, we started off with the word Jesus. Who is he? We talked about how Jesus is the son of God. He is God and he came here as a man. So he was both fully God and he was fully human at the same time. And this uniqueness, this unique thing that was him and the, the godness and the humanity allowed him to come and be on this world and affect this world in a very powerful and unique way. And I would say it's pretty unique given that we're still talking about him 2,000 years later and there's not very many movements or people that we talk about or know so much about, discuss their words and, and meet up for in so many ways. We talked last week about the word love. Jesus loves. This is what he does for us. This is what he is doing. And what does it mean? What is this love that we're talking about? We looked at a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee. That was a, one of the religious leaders of the day named, Nic named Nicodemus. This conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus in John chapter 3. We see in this conversation, Jesus tells Nicodemus of the great plan that God has and how it is built on God's love for us. It's about sacrifice. It's about redemption. It's about forgiveness. It's not about condemnation. It's not about separating us or pushing us away or punishing us for our sins, but it's asking how can Jesus, how can God bring us back to him? And that's his number one goal because his number one thought his, the basis of his plan for us is his love. Nicodemus had some trouble understanding it, so Jesus had to explain it a couple times, but it allowed us to really jump in and find out what this love was. It's not a selfish love. It's not a manipulative love. It's not a goal-seeking love necessarily, but it is a powerful, true love that God has for us to redeem us. But this week, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, we're to talk about me. <laughs> Jesus loves me. That's what we want to talk about. Where are we in all this? They're like, yeah, that Jesus guy, he's really cool. He loves us great. You know, we can get a lot of people to say they love us. But me, I want to talk about me. I always loved that song because I've related to it very, very well. <laughs> When we were on the podcast, Jesse and I earlier this week, we do a podcast twice a week to kind of prep for the sermon, and Jesse and I were going at it. We were like, yeah, this is perfect. We're millennials. It's all about me. This is what we want. We're in our wheelhouse right now. Uh, but we want to talk about me because it's that next line of the song. Jesus loves me. 
And the reason why we want to talk about me today, or you, is because we talked the last couple weeks about how Jesus is the God who created the universe. All things were created through him. And he loves this pure, powerful, true love. He loves us with it. So what are we supposed to do? What is his plan for us? What does he think of us? What is his idea of you? What is his idea of me? Why did he create us? What does he want from us? How does he envision us? And we're going to see that Jesus has a very specific idea of what it means to be human. He has a very specific idea of who we are supposed to be as human beings. We see this start in Genesis chapter 1. When God creates the world, you know, it, it, it goes pretty quickly. He creates, you know, the light, the darkness, the stars, the sun, the moon, the earth, the seas, the animals, the plants. He creates everything, and then it slows down a little bit to talk about how God created us. He created human beings in His own image. In Latin, you, call, you say imago Dei, and this imago Dei, this being made in his image is an essential pillar of our Christianity, something that we've been talking about through these messages. Who we are in Christ and who God made us to be is an essential part of our faith. And given that Jesus loves us and we're an essential part, and this is an essential part of our faith, it leaves a great open question, which is, who are we? What are we here for? What is Jesus' idea of us? Now, in the conversation between Nicodemus and John, when John wrote his gospel, he talks about it at the end. He's like, look, guys, I wrote a book on this. I spent some time on it. He's like, if I wrote everything that Jesus did, we wouldn't have enough time. All the books in the world would be full of what he did. It's just way too much. So John has this conversation, and then he just jumps to another piece of the story. He jumps to another piece of the gospel. He's like, okay, this conversation happened, and then we went over here. So John doesn't really explain a whole lot of what Jesus' plan means for us and what we're to do with it or what we're supposed to think of it. But Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, does. And so that's why we're jumping around. That's why we're not in John 3 today. That's why today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Is because though John has that conversation about what God's plan is and his love for us, it's Paul who kind of extrapolates it for us. He's the one who gives us knowledge of what God's idea is of us, what his plan is for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul starts off by saying, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So if we're wondering who we are, if we're wondering what we're supposed to be and what God's idea is for us, the first piece of it is he had a plan for us before the creation of the world. Before he created us in his image, before any part of Genesis happens where God begins the creation, he has a plan for us. He has an idea for what we will be, who we will be, and what we will do. Paul continues on, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adoption to sonship. What does this mean? When Paul wrote this, he used a Greek term or a Latin term. I'm not sure which one it is, but it was one word, that adoption to sonship part. 
And that adoption to sonship, that one word at the time, it referred to the process in Rome of making someone a full heir. The Romans weren't exactly monogamous. <laughs> you know, they'd get married, and they'd get married again, and they'd have a couple people on the side. Like, that was what the Romans did. They, they went all out. They had not many boundaries, I guess we could say. And so they would end up with a lot of children. And so they would rank how important the children were based on who was a full heir. And so when Paul uses this word to refer to what God wants to do to us, it's a testament to how God sees us. God sees us as we are separated from him, we have broken off from him in his plan for us, but he wants us to be fully his. He wants us to have the honor and glory that he originally wanted to bestow upon us. That's why Paul uses that term adoption to sonship. And then he finishes out with a testament to Jesus' love, to God's love for us, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us to the one he loves. So we see here in these verses 4 through 6 that there was a plan for us before the beginning of creation. When God looks at you as a human being, he sees someone that he created to be holy and blameless, to be a full heir of his, to receive part of his glorious power as an inheritance, to know him and be close to him and be one with him, to have a relationship with him. All these things are what God intended. And then we all messed it up. We separated ourselves through sin God didn't separate himself from us necessarily as we separated ourselves from him. We pushed him away and we said, you know, all that stuff that sounds really cool, we're going to go the other direction. We want something else. So we see this separation and brokenness away from what God originally intended. And that's where we are now. But Jesus came for us. And in verse 7, it says, In him, referring to Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So there is the plan that we talked about last week. God's plan to send Jesus to redeem us, to forgive us. That's the plan right there. Redemption through his blood that he lavished on, God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Jesus came to redeem us. He came to end this separation. And then what does he do? What does it say in verse 10? It says that his plan is to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. See, when we pushed ourselves away from God, when we caused and we, when we made this separation, we didn't just separate ourselves. See, God made us in his own image, it says in Genesis, to rule over the land, the seas, the plants, the animals. We were to rule over this world. But when we separated from him, 
as rulers of this world, we also pushed creation away from him. In physics, there's this concept called entropy. And they have found that essentially what happens is even if you, like, build something up physically, and not necessarily like a building, but like, you know, if, if you combine elements and you go from hydrogen to helium and you end up with iron and you end up with all these elements, you know, things get built together. At the same time, other stuff is decaying. And that decay is always greater than the building up. Our entire universe, our entire world is decaying. This is why gardening is so hard. I don't know if anyone else has tried gardening, but I like had a bush in the backyard that had like some berries on it. It did not last very long. It, it didn't. Once that heat came out this summer, that thing got brown real quick. But why is that? It's because our entire world is decaying because we have separated ourselves from God. And given that God placed us to be stewards over this world, to rule over it, when we separated ourselves, we pushed the world away from him too. There's a part in Romans, I believe it is, where, where Paul talks about how the groans of this world, you know, he points to, to natural disasters, the things in this world that destroy and are so deadly and horrible, it's because of the corruption that's occurred. That corruption comes from the separation from God. So when it says in verse 10 that the whole goal, that this plan is for Christ to unite all things in him, that is incredible news. That is what will fix and heal not just our brokenness, but the brokenness of this creation that we see. In verse 11, he continues, in him we were also chosen. So here's what's interesting is those first sections of passage that we read. He was talking, when he said we, and when he talked about humanity, he talked about all humans. Whether it be you or me in this church, whether it be somewhere, in the, some person in the Middle East, or India, or China, or whatever country it may be, all humans were created to be holy and blameless. Every single one of us. That is what God created us for. Now, we're not necessarily there right now, but that is what he created us for. But now he changes this we a little bit. And now this we refers to us who know him. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works for our everything in conformity with his purpose of his will. Paul needs to learn to like use more punctuation. You know, I don't know if anyone else ever feels that when reading the Bible, but it's like, Paul, calm down. <laughs> like I remember reading those like books, those English books from the 1800s in English class in high school, and it was the same thing. It was like these authors were competing to use as few periods as possible. It's like, man, when I write that way, I get docked a lot of points. But I, had, I did ask my dad about this. I was like, Dad, come on, help me out here. Why, why is this so weird? He's like, oh, Greek didn't have punctuation. It's like, oh, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Can you imagine not having to use punctuation on all those essays? That would have been awesome. But alas, I ended up with a lot of red marks on mine. But when we look sometimes and we wonder why Paul is just doing these massive times, it's like, oh, well, he didn't even have a period. He didn't, it wasn't invented yet. Of course he wasn't using it. But what we can do is we can look at the way it's been translated and we can notice something. This is a comma and this is a comma, which means everything in the middle is what we call an aside, which means it simply describes what he's saying here. It also means 
that if we're trying to get to the heart of what Paul is saying, we can skip over it a little bit. Because the whole point of this entire statement is that we were chosen. And he goes into a lot more detail, and he talks about how God, everything is conformity to the purpose of his will, and all this amazing stuff. And it's good stuff, but also, it gets us lost in the weeds. What is verse 11 and then 12 following really saying? In him, we were chosen in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. Now, there's some asides in there. There's the one that was in verse 11 that we just saw, and then verse 12 also has an aside. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. Again, we have that other aside, who were the first to put our hope in Christ. So that's the we He's talking about. We went from talking about all humanity all people who have been created by God to the ones who have first, we have put our hope in Christ. He came the first time. He has not yet come back the second time to fully unite everything. But we have still put our faith in him before that happens. And so when we talk about us, we might be for the praise of his glory. See, his great plan is to unite everything. It's to unite everything to him, and we have a special place in that because we were created in his image. Yes, we have been broken. We have all of those sayings, right? Oh, to err is to be human. Oh, I'm only human. Oh, we all make mistakes. And the fact that we all make mistakes is true, but to say to err is to be human, that's not quite right. Because God did not create humans to make mistakes. He did not create us to be flawed and broken. We have done that to ourselves, but that is not why he created us. He created us to be holy and blameless, to know him and be united with him. What an amazing, beautiful calling. What an incredible purpose for us. What a special privilege we have in his kingdom that he wants to adopt us as his sons and daughters He wants to share his power and love and glory and life with us. He wants to make us whole. He wants to heal us. And so while we are on this earth, while we know him and believe in him and trust him, even though he has not come back and fully united everything, we have a special purpose that we might be for the praise of his glory. This world looks at humans and doesn't know what to do with them. We can talk, we, we talk a lot about being upstream. The upstream is the philosophies. It's what people build their lives on. It's what people believe. You know, a lot of times we may believe one thing and we do another. You know, we can always think of times when that's happened. Maybe we believed something was right, but we didn't do it. We did something that we believed was wrong anyway. But in general, what we believe really guides us in our lives. This world doesn't know what to believe about humans. In fact, this world is not ruled by God anymore. God has given it to the prince of darkness. He doesn't want you to know what God has in mind for you. He doesn't want you to know the unity, the healing, the holiness, the blamelessness. He doesn't want you to know about that. And so this world has so many ideas about what it is to be human. It ranks humans. It defines them. Even what we were talking about earlier within Rome, they ranked which children mattered. 
In our world today, we often see people ranking others. We've seen it a lot recently, ranking which people are more important. Oh, well, should these people have a right to vote? Should these people be treated the same way? There's a lot of questions about how we rank humans. All of that is from the world, and it's a lie. God created each and every one of us to be holy and blameless, but the world doesn't know that anymore. And in some cases, the world outright wants to deny it. And so what are we to do while we are here? We are to be a remnant. We are to show God's glory by being united with him ourselves. Maybe we can't be fully united yet. We still live in a fallen world. We are still corrupted with the evil and darkness. But we can show the world some of Christ's glory still. We can show the world how beautiful and amazing and awesome he is. We do that by allowing him to come into our lives. I've been doing a lot of science experiments for this one, which is kind of fun. You know, play with the chemistry, play with the chemicals. I don't know if anybody else took chemistry in high school because they thought you thought they'd teach you to blow stuff up. That didn't happen for me. Maybe it happened for you. This one gets a little bit exciting, though. See, the, this illustration today is to show what we are to be in this world. We have separated from God. When we sin, we push him away from ourselves. And, and, and we have... Two separate chemicals. Look at that. We push him away. So we separate ourselves. And then we're all stuck over here, and we're like, eh, it doesn't feel right. Something feels off. It feels like there's a hole. It feels like there's something missing. Or we start doing evil things like ranking human beings. Or a myriad of other sins that we commit. Because there is something missing. Because we know that there is something special about humanity. There is something special about humans. And it's true, there is. God created us in his image. He predestined us to be adopted to sonship. Those are special, special things. But because we have separated from him, the world is searching for that specialness. It doesn't know where it is. And so it grabs all of these things. But what are we, we who have chosen to put our faith in him? We are a reflection of his gloriousness. We have Jesus. We ask him to pour himself into our lives. We ask him to come and be one with us. We ask him to heal us and be united with us. And that's when we get a reaction. The world tries to pour all types of things into it, and it doesn't do anything. It's just an endless search for meaning, for hope, to be special, to have a purpose. But we have one that was in the mind of the creator before we were even made. Before the creation of the world, he had an idea for us. When Jesus comes into our life, when we ask him into our lives, the reaction finally happens. 
we finally begin to be healed of our brokenness. We finally begin to unite with Christ. It won't be perfect. To err may not be human, but it is part of this fallen world. That will prevent us from being fully united with him while we are here here on this planet. We won't be made fully his. We cannot be fully united while we still live in this world of corruption and sin. But Paul doesn't stop. In verse 13, he says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We may not be fully united with him while we live on this world because of the sin and the corruption that not only we live around, but that we have committed ourselves. The evil that is inside us, the sins that we still commit, not because we are human, but because we are broken. But the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The future inheritance, the future finishing of God's plan. When he will unite all things, he is life, he is truth, he is purity. If we desire those things which our hearts truly do, well, we won't have it until we're with him again. He is the author of all of those good things. So we have to come back to him. And yeah, maybe maybe we won't be there quite yet. Maybe we can't do it while we're here fully. But remember that the Holy Spirit is that seal. It's that guaranteeing of our inheritance. So what do we do as humans? Who are we? What is this me, this me that is in this, this phrase? What is that? We are humans. We are human beings envisioned by God before the creation of this world to be his. To be holy and blameless. To be special. To be made in his image. How often are you lied to about what your humanity is? How often does this world tear you down tell you that you're just messed up, tell you that there is no purpose. In the secular society that we live in, that is the number one answer. That is the end point of all of their upstream upstream decisions and choices, is that there is no purpose, there is no meaning, there is not even a you. It's all just chemical reactions happening. Just a bunch of snaps in a row. That has no special place for humans. And that's what this world tells you. That's what our culture tells you. That you are just a product of the system, a cog in a machine, nothing more. But we know that's a lie. So when the Holy Spirit tells you that you are more than that, believe it. When the pressure is on and the struggle is real, maybe it's through parenting, maybe it's through school, Maybe it's through work. Maybe it's in relationships in your family. Whatever it may be, there will be times when the struggle is great and hard. 
when the denial of who you are as a human being comes in. Maybe not explicitly, maybe not loudly, but the little subtle comments and the arguments it makes and the lies it tells you about your worth and who you are in Christ. Listen to the Holy Spirit, the guaranteeing of your inheritance. Go to God who will heal you, who will bring you to him, who will start in his plan and make you an example of his glory in the world to come. God has so much for us. We are a massive part of his plan for this creation. To heal it, to make it whole, to bring it to him, and to let his life and love reign in it, and to show glory. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.